God, we thank you for tonight, for this space, for this moment in time together. To lift your name, bring you praise. It's all for your glory, God. It's all for you. We love you. It's in Jesus' holy and precious name. We say together, amen. Good to see you this morning. It's great to be in this place together to worship our God. And uh, we do so because the Bible tells us that God is worthy of all praise and honor and glory and that we have been created to worship him. And so uh, right now we're going to read from the scriptures as our call to worship this morning. So as you hear a reading from the Old Testament and one from the new, just allow these words of the Holy Scriptures to, uh, to set your minds and your hearts at peace and aright with God, for we uh, are gathering in this place not to receive, but to give, and we all have a lot kind of flowing around in our minds and things that we're concerned about or thinking about, and now is that time when uh, we ask the Lord through His Holy Spirit to calm us 
and to help us to bring our attention fully upon him where it belongs. And so a reading from the Old Testament as part of our call to worship, and these are selected verses from Psalm 113. Blessed be the name of the Lord, from this time forth and forevermore, from the rising of the sun to its setting, the name of the Lord is to be praised, and the Lord is high above all nations, and his glory above the heavens. Who is like the Lord our God? A reading from the New Testament, Revelation chapter 7. Then one of the elders answered, saying to me, These who are clothed in the white robes, who are they, and where have they come from? I said to him, My Lord, you know. And he said to me, These are the ones who come out of the great tribulation, and they have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. For this reason they are before the throne of God, and they serve him day and night in his temple. And he who sits on the throne will spread his tabernacle over them. They will hunger no longer, nor thirst any more, nor will the sun beat down on them, nor any heat. For the lamb in the center of the throne will be their shepherd and will guide them to springs of the water of life. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. You stand with us, please. Father God, how grateful we are for this opportunity. And so because of that, we say thank you. We know that you desire for us to live a life of thankfulness, a life where we are giving back to you and giving our attention, setting our eyes on things above where Christ is, not the things of this world. And so, Lord, these scriptures help to remind us about the, um, the nature of you, our God, and the fact that one day we will join with all the saints and with all the angels in worshiping you in all of your glory forever and forever. We look forward to that, Father. But until then, we gather in places like this. We gather together and we raise our hands together. We join our hearts and our voices as one, singing songs as the redeemed people that we are. So God, this time is for you. May you be blessed. And we ask through the leading of the Spirit, in the name of Jesus, amen. Let's worship the Lord together.
sing Jesus the name above. Jesus the name above every other name. Jesus the only one who could ever sing. So this next song that we're going to do this morning is a new one, um, but it's called Jesus, We Love You. And it's really simple. Um, the chorus is just, Jesus, we love you. Oh, how we love you. You are the one our hearts adore. Um, it's really, 
it's really beautiful. It's a really sweet song to sing um, to the Lord um, and with each other. Um, we would, you can stand if you'd like, but we would invite you to just sit um, for this next song, to just soak in the lyrics, um, to, to read them as they're on the screen, um, and to sing along as you feel comfortable and as you feel led. All things have passed away Your love has stayed the same Your constant grace remains the cornerstone And things that we thought were dead are breathing in life again you cause your sun to shine on darkest nights and for all that you've done we will pour out our love this will be our anthem song and jesus we
Father God, we love you so much. Now, Lord Jesus, thank you for a sweet time of worship as we continue to just give our time to you. Lord God, have your way with us, Lord. We do say these simple words in song, and we want it to come just truly and deeply from our hearts. Jesus, we love you. God, you are love, and you deserve to be loved, and we thank you that we can love you and others because of your love. Father God, continue to be blessed in this time of worship. Amen, amen. Would you stand with us for our last song, please, as we continue to give him the glory.
we stand here before you saying thank you once again you deserve all the praise Lord your word tells us that you are Alpha and Omega no beginning, no end you always have been the eternal self-existent one Father there are no other gods besides you and so we surrender ourselves to you now because you alone are worthy and God, as we continue in our time of worship together by fellowship, by prayer, by opening your word together, Father, we do ask your blessing, even though we truly, in our heart of hearts, come to surrender and to offer ourselves up to you in worship. So God, have your way with us through the leading, the power of your Holy Spirit, and we pray these things in the matchless this name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Would you take a minute to say good morning to somebody next to you?
we can find our way back to our seats. <laughs> Praise the Lord for good fellowship and worship. I trust that you've been blessed already and have enjoyed time with the Lord. And, uh, and Lord willing, this is just the beginning of a week uh, filled of worship uh, for you, whether you're listening to, um, to worship songs on the radio or uh, just at home and uh, on your phone, wherever you like to worship the Lord. Um, continue to do that throughout the week because, again, he is worthy, and we have been created to worship him. And so whether you love to sing or not or you like to let people hear you sing, that's okay, because God hears you, and it's all a beautiful, a beautiful sound to his ears. And so remember, church, that we will spend eternity uh, singing the songs to God and worshiping him in, in all different ways. But as we read about in Revelation, that... Um, that they were singing holy, holy, holy over and over and over again. So, and we'll never get tired of doing that. Amen? That's great. Some of you said amen. Some of you didn't, but that's okay. I'll let Jesus deal with that when you guys get to heaven. That's okay. So just a few, um, a few things of what we call church life to kind of get caught up in what's going on here at Life of Trinity, uh, and then we'll open God's word. But we have uh, our monthly outreach coming up uh, towards the end of July. So on Sunday, July 23rd at 6 o'clock. Anybody that's interested will be meeting at the Point Pleasant Beach Boardwalk right by the aquarium there, there Jenkinson's, and uh, we'll be doing just uh, evangelism and prayer. And so basically the focus is prayer, but you never know what God's going to do and what kind of doors he will open. Last year we did this at the Boardwalk at Asbury Park, and we had some amazing conversations and met some awesome, very interesting people. And, uh, and so we pray for the same thing this year. And so it's just an opportunity, I and mean, if you don't, maybe feel a little uncomfortable about that, and it's out of your comfort zone, that means that you should go. That's what that means. And, um, and you know, but you can just pray and even, you know, pray as silently as you walk um, and pray for people. And we go in groups, and, and you never know the kind of conversations that are uh, going to ensue. And so this is that opportunity. So please put that on your calendar, uh, Sunday, July 23rd, 6 o'clock at the Point Pleasant Beach boardwalk just outside the aquarium. Remember that we have a women's retreat coming up, and so that is October 7th and 8th, the Saturday and Sunday. It's going to be at the Wittell's house, so our house, and uh, there is a sleepover option for the ladies, and you'll see all the details coming soon on our website, but that'll be a Saturday and Sunday at our house in Brick for a women's retreat, so please uh, join, ladies, join your sisters in the Lord for just a wonderful, memorable weekend. And uh, so be looking for that information on our website and for emails with more details and uh, all that you need to know. But that is the theme for this year's Women's Retreat on October 7th and 8th, Becoming by Beholding. And so there's a, a guest speaker coming in from New York City, um, and uh, she'll be sharing about that topic and what that looks like. So there'll be times of worship, and uh, devotion together and study, of course, fellowship and good food. So ladies, please mark those dates, Saturday and Sunday, October 7th and 8th, and uh, look for more details about how to RSVP, all right? And uh, the men's retreat coming up as well. And so that will be um, the following weekend. That is Friday, Saturday, Sunday, down at Harvey Cedars. If you've never been to Harvey Cedars Bible Conference, it's an awesome spot to get away and have a retreat. And so we have booked our time there, and we have a guest speaker coming in as well uh, for that retreat. And the theme for this year's uh, men's retreat is No Man Left Behind. And so that means every guy has to sign up. 
or else the theme doesn't really work, right? And so, uh, again, you'll see more details on our website about pricing and, and uh, the timing of all of that and when to arrive. And, you know, that will be Friday through Sunday, the following weekend after the women's retreat. So a lot going on in the fall, as usual. There'll be more that you'll hear about a harvest festival we have coming up at the end of October that we'll uh, do in, in conjunction with another local church. And so a lot of things happening. And of course, um, uh, just I'm not trying to rush through our summer or anything. I just wanted to, you know, as we fill up our calendars, right, we want to make sure we get some dates on there. So that is for that. And so what I'd like to do now is just I'd like to invite Andrew and Elizabeth, uh, who head up our missions team, to come up and to share a few words uh, about uh, one of our newest missionaries that we're supporting. So come on up, guys. Okay, thank you. Good morning, everyone. Uh, first of all, I want to thank you for the prayers. For me, God answered. Thank you. Amen. Julia. First, I want to tell you how proud we are of you. What you have accomplished and what you're going to accomplish. For loving the Lord so much as you do. We're getting your internship at Messiah University, am I right? Okay. For being our in-house missionary. For ministering to the other people at the university. Because it's all about disciple making disciples. And that's what you're doing. And then they're gonna do more. And they're gonna make disciples. I want to thank the church for the generosity because we were able and are able to support her on this mission. And it was because of all of you that give so generously to the mission team fund. Thank you, Julia. Keep up the good work. We're very proud. Our little girl ain't little no more. <laughs> we love you and I'm going to pass it on to <laughs> I want to say um, glory to God um, he gives us that breath uh, if you inhale and exhale that's him controlling our next heartbeat um, Julia came a long way um, she's a breath of fresh air I remember when we went to Brazil we got a little closer down there. All of us got closer. Like, when you go on these mission trips, I'm trying to tell you, God works out in mysterious ways that you don't even understand. That's why he said, go and make disciples. Teach them what I told you to teach them. Go baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And that's what we're on mission to do. Now, if you're born again, you just became a missionary. Welcome to the club. <laughs> you just became an in-house missionary to go and spread to this darkened world that we live in because we live in so much darkness. And what Julia is doing, she's like a prime example of the youth that is out there today. She graduated from Messiah University. Now the Lord said, look, okay, you graduate. Now I'm going to send you back to that place to make disciples. I mean, I'm familiar with that. Eight years ago, I was homeless. When I first got here, I was sitting right in this chair right here. And he used to talk to Albert right there, Rick. 
Rick was here too, almost eight years ago. And um, the Lord did some transformation. That's what he does. He transformed our lives from the inside out. You know, we're not about making disciples. What are we doing? We're only here for a short period of time around here. Matthew 28, 18, 19, and 20. That's the Great Commission. Go. I'm going to be with you. He never leaves you going forsaken. He's always there. You just got to believe. How we get our eternal state is by believing in our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And that's what Julia's a prime example. When we first talked about that with the mission team, I was like, thank you, Lord. Julia, you see the prime example when she sings up here. I mean, she's singing from the heart. I try to follow the words. If that prop is not up there, I'm finished. But, you know, it's amazing with Claudia and Pastor Keith, her whole family, you know, they integrated that from her uh, from when she was smaller. You know, learn, grow, and serve. That's what we're here to do, learn, grow, and serve, and share with people out there that don't have no hope. Because there's a lot of people in your backyard. Missions, when, it starts when you get out of these walls, these four walls. Mission starts in your backyard. Mission starts at work. Mission starts like your family. Mission starts when, in, in your neighborhood. Mission starts when you just walk out the doors because people don't know about this hope that we have. Our eternal state is set already. It's already set. Our, our name's been written in the book of life already. So we got to tell other people how to get there. Where's the breadwinner? And that's Jesus. That's all we have right here is Jesus. Jesus holding our next breath. If he was to rip off this, this roof right here, we would all die because he's holy. He, and he demands glory and, and want us, his children to live in glory. We want to give him all the glory out of what we do every day. Every day is a mission. Driving through Lakewood, that's a mission. You know? You know, and, and just a blessing to work for him. I know Julia, so I, I spoke to her earlier this morning, and I, I was like, we're so happy and so proud. And I know her parents are proud of her, too. And, and just, to, just, just to give back this, this um, be able to um, help an in-house missionary that's going to go back out to tell these people about Jesus. That's, that is big. That's life. That's, that's life um, eternal. And, and, and we love that, that she's doing that. Now she's going to set the other youths that can follow by her example. That's what you know, the Lord says, make disciples making disciples. And it's just amazing what Julia's doing. And, and Claudia, we learn so much from these guys. And Beth and Bruce back there doing, doing ministry and things. It, and, and missions is about family. He, the Lord ties us all together as one. Because we are one with him. See, the devil don't want you coming together to, to do that. He wants you separated far from your family. He wants you divided. That's what he came to do, to divide us. Now, if he divide, divide you and get you isolated, he got you. But when we form as the church, the hands and feet of, of Jesus Christ, we can go out there. He knows his power in that. So when we do these mission trips, when we come back from these mission trips, it's so much joy. I mean, don't get me wrong. Missions is, is tough now. It's tough. You don't have to make sacrifices from your job sometimes. But the thing is, who gave you that job? The Lord gave you that job. You know, he can take a job away from you any day, any time. You know, and we got to be mindful of that. To work from him, our creator that sustains us, that gives us life each and every day when we wake up, it's all because of him. Sometimes we be aching, tired. My wife can't even get out of bed sometimes. You know what I mean? It's tough. But the glory set before us, these light momentary afflictions, they ain't going to be compared to the glory that he's going to reveal to us. You know? So we got, you know, we got to wake up, you know, and we want to thank Julia. I don't want to keep up all the time, but we want to thank Julia. You know, the Lord using Julia. To set an example for the, for the youth, and I'm so happy and so proud of her. You know, she came a long way, and I ain't going to talk no more. I ain't even had to read out my Bible because that's the Lord flowing, you know. <laughs> but we want to welcome Julia up and give her a standing ovation. And thank you, <laughs> thank you, Julia.
don't know. I don't really know what there's left to say um, after that. <laughs> um, yeah, I just want to start by saying thank you guys so much um, for supporting the ministry that the Lord is calling me to. Um, it's been the most incredible blessing to see how he is so clearly time and time again confirmed that this is exactly where he wants me to be. Um, so just to explain a little bit um, more in depth about what I'll be doing. So on the screen, it says CCO Campus Ministry. Um, so I am partnering with an organization that's called the Coalition for Christian Outreach. Um, and they do uh, campus ministry, uh, ministering to college students um, all across the United States. Um, and uh, I'm partnering with them serving at Messiah University, where I just graduated from. Um, my main role um, there on the field is going to be disciple making. Um, I will be meeting with um, our student leaders. Um, I'll be doing outreach to students who don't know the Lord, who don't know the gospel. Um, and I will be meeting regularly and building up um, our next generation of church leaders, which um, I think is really important and our next generation of, of missionaries. Um, and the organization that I work with um, serves at a lot of different um, campuses. Most of them are, are not Christian universities. Um, and there's about 60% uh, of those universities in the United States that don't have any um, groups of, of students or Christians meeting on campus and um, making disciples. And there's about 20 million college students in the United States um, today. And so it's a big, it's a big uh, field. And when you kind of look at those numbers that they, they count as almost an, an unreached people group, which is really crazy. Um, and so I'm really excited to, um, to be getting to serve at the place that I just graduated from. I have a unique experience of knowing the community, knowing the people, um, having a lot of the kind of trust and relational capital of, of, for a lot of the students that are there already. Um, and I'm really looking forward to um, just being able to minister full time. I was a part of um, some of this kind of ministry throughout my four years, but now I get to kind of pull my, pour my whole heart into it and um, watch as, as the Lord uh, transforms lives. And so I'll be, um, I'll be ministering, I'll be inviting students to church, getting them plugged into local churches um, and helping to give them a vision for how they can serve Jesus with their whole lives. So thank you guys so much. Um, I appreciate your support as my, my sending church, as my home church. Um, and I love you all so much. So thank you. As you can imagine, Claudia and I are smiling a little bit more this morning. Just very uh, proud and uh, most importantly, just thankful to the Lord about what he is um, doing in Julia's life and just this unique opportunity she has for the next year and uh, the fellowship program to do all that she just said. And so um, I uh, thank all of you on her behalf as well for just continuing to support missions and outreach here at Trinity. And Julia now gets to be an important part of that. And so please continue to pray for her, along with our other missionaries, and ask God's guidance and protection. And as, as Brother Andrew was saying, you know, um, um, it's not easy. And as Julia, you know, said, there's um, so many um, unreached uh, college students. And so we're just looking forward to the amazing things that God's going to do in and through her and uh, the way that he will bless her as she blesses others. So again, we say thank you for that, for your uh, prayer support and financial support for her. Um, 
So we're going to open God's Word together, and in our time remaining, we'll continue in our series in Matthew. So please turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 3. Um, and uh, we're going to be looking at a, uh, a very unique individual today. It's sort of a character study uh, in the life of one unique man and his role in Jesus being king who is bringing the kingdom. So if you remember in Matthew, we see that um, this gospel written by Matthew to predominantly to Jewish Christians. So these were uh, Jewish people who then believed in Jesus as Messiah. And so his uh, focus is very Jewish in nature. And so his theme and purpose really is to show how Jesus is that uh, promised king who is bringing the promised kingdom to the people of Israel. And then he also talks about what has happened now and what uh, will be happening until he returns because his own people rejected him. And so we continue to look at that theme of Jesus being king and offering his kingdom. And a very important part of that is to look at the life of John the baptizer. You know, uh, here in New Jersey, we're well aware of um, highway construction, aren't we? It seems like it is never ending, right? And there are projects you think that continue to go on forever and ever. And I just pray that they're not the same team that's going to be building the highways in heaven because Jesus is going to take a long time to come back if that's not ready for us, right? So hopefully they're not the ones working on the mansion. He said he'll build it. So I think we all know what it's like, especially here in New Jersey. But you know what's interesting? I remember stories my dad would tell me about when he was a kid um, watching the Garden State Parkway being built. You know, and um, it was actually built over an 11-year period from 1946 to 1957. I won't ask who was around back then, but I know my dad was, and he remembers as a kid going and watching them build this amazing uh, highway. And basically it was to help to, um, to, to ease the flow of traffic on Route 1, Route 9, Route 35. And those are highways that we're very familiar with. But before the parkway... That is how people came down to us here at the Jersey Shore. They'd come down Route 1, Route 9, Route 35. And you know, there are a lot of lights on those roads, and it would take forever. And so the idea was to build this parkway that would go from the very northern part of New Jersey by the New York border all the way down to the very end, the tip of New Jersey in Cape May, where you go um, down all the way to the end. And all of a sudden, there's a traffic light on the parkway, right, down by Cape May. And um, so it's 170 miles from north to south, and it took 11 years to build and uh, help to bring all that traffic down closer to the, the east coast to help ease the congestion uh, of those other routes. And the other thing as well is that, you know, they, they put these tolls in temporarily to, uh, to help pay off the debt to build it, and they said it would take just a few years to do that, so they're a little behind schedule. So I don't anticipate any time, right? Once they see all the money flowing, it's kind of like, I think we'll keep these for a little while longer. And, uh, but yet we still do benefit from that. Well, look, in Isaiah chapter 40, verses 3 and 4, you don't have to turn there, I'm going to read it for you. 
Isaiah chapter 40, verses 3 and 4, the prophet Isaiah talks about the need to actually build a highway, in a sense, to clear the paths for the returning Israelites from the captivity in Babylon. And this was back in about the year 537, when God had told them through the prophet Isaiah that uh, their time of exile and um, judgment was up, and they were able to return to the land. And so in Isaiah 43 through 4, there is this call to, um, to prepare the way. Now, really, it is a, uh, a spiritual application that the people of Israel needed to prepare themselves to once again be a people in their promised land and to have God as their Lord. And so it says this, a voice is calling, clear the way for the Lord in the wilderness and make smooth in the desert a highway for our God. Let every valley be lifted up and every mountain and hill be made low and let the rough ground become a plain and the rugged terrain a broad valley. Now, there did need to be some people to kind of go ahead and literally help prepare the way, but really what Isaiah is talking about is people get your hearts ready because God is coming back, again, in the context of Isaiah writing it, God is coming back to free you from captivity in Babylon and bring you back to your homeland. So Matthew attributes these verses in Isaiah 40 to one person, John the Baptist. And so I want to read for you now our passage for this morning. And you're going to see this theme develop that John the Baptist, as the next prophet, actually after a 400-year absence of prophets, calling the people back to repentance and back to their God, that Matthew, in this passage, he attributes Isaiah 40 to John the Baptist because he was doing just that. So this morning... We're going to take a brief look at John, who we call John the Baptizer, or John the Baptist, and a little bit about who he was and who he was not, what he came to do, and then finally a few things we can learn from him. How is it we can be more like John the Baptist? So it says this in Matthew 3, verses 1 through 6. Now, in those days, John the Baptist came, preaching in the wilderness of Judea, saying, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is the one referred to by Isaiah the prophet when he said, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, make ready the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. Now John himself had a garment of camel's hair and a leather belt around his waist and his food was locusts and wild honey. Then Jerusalem was going out to him and all Judea and all the district around the Jordan, and they were being baptized by him in the Jordan River as they confessed their sins. And that's our passage for this morning. So Matthew, as he continues to tell the story of Jesus and about his ministry to be that who is that coming king, the king who had arrived on the scene, bringing the kingdom that had been promised so long ago to the people of Israel. And so who was this John the Baptist? First, I want, to, I want you to notice this. In our study of Matthew, if you're thinking about what we talked about last week and now we pick up here, 
And Matthew starts right in and says, in those days of John the Baptist. If you notice, Matthew skips over the whole childhood and teenage years and young adulthood of Jesus. And so we had seen the genealogy of Jesus and then, of course, his birth, his miraculous birth and the coming of the Magi. And now all of a sudden, here he is about 30 years old. And we're learning about John the Baptist who has come as a forerunner before Jesus to prepare the way, just as Isaiah had predicted. And so Matthew kind of skips over all those years, and now we are about to see John the Baptist, and then soon after, Jesus beginning his earthly ministry. And Matthew had given his genealogy and proven the origin of Jesus, and now he's focused on the introduction of the king, the true king of the Jews. So, First of all, who was John the Baptist? He was the first prophet to the people of Israel after about 400 years. So remember the close of the Old Testament with Malachi, who was that last prophet. It was followed by about 400 years of silence from God. No other prophets calling the people of Israel back to repentance and back to their God. So now John the Baptist shows up and he is the next in line of the prophets. His birth, John the Baptist, was miraculous. If you remember, uh, the angel Gabriel, the same angel that visited Mary, told um, John the Baptist's father, Zechariah, who was a priest, the tribe of Levi, that he would have a son. And if you remember, it was miraculous because Zechariah and his wife were very old. And so Zechariah did not believe it. And uh, he had a bit of a rough time, different story. But the angel Gabriel said these words in Luke chapter 1. He, meaning John the Baptist, will bring back many of the people to Israel, of Israel, to the Lord their God. And he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and the power of Elijah to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. And so that is what um, the angel Gabriel was saying about John the Baptist. John the Baptist is also related to Jesus because their mothers were somehow related, said that they were relatives. So uh, John the Baptist is not only going before Jesus to prepare the way, but they are related. Uh, Remember the story of their mothers being pregnant together. Uh, As we read that his clothes were quite unique, but actually typical of what we understand of Old Testament prophets, similar to what we read about Elijah wearing. His life was actually one of simplicity and dedication to the Lord. That's something you can file away as a bit of an application. How often do we long for our lives to be a little bit simpler and that we would be more dedicated to the Lord? John the Baptist is a good example. He set himself apart to be the forerunner, to be the one who would point the way to Jesus, a voice calling out in the wilderness. And so he ate uh, interesting food, and his ministry was about only for a year, And then we know that he was put in prison by King Herod for speaking out against his marriage to his brother's former wife. And John the Baptist spoke out against it, and uh, his wife, his wife now didn't like that, so she conspired with her daughter to have John killed and for his head to be brought to them. And so John was beheaded in prison. Not a way that we would think a prophet of God, especially the first one after 400 years, would be killed. 
But from this passage, we read that all of Jerusalem and all the people in that district in that Judean area were going out to him. See, John the Baptist was attracting a lot of attention, wasn't he, by the way he dressed and the the things that he said, even what he was eating and word was spreading. But consider this as well, and this is an interesting point of the story, is that people were going out to see him because he was in the Judean wilderness. John the Baptist was not walking around the streets, the city of Jerusalem. People were leaving the confines of the city and their homes to go out to see this John the baptizer. So he was attracting a lot of attention, but yet he was not keeping the attention to himself, for he was bringing the attention to Jesus Christ himself. In John's gospel, again, in order to get the full picture of the life and ministry of Jesus, we take all of the four gospels together. But in John's gospel, in, in, the cha- in the first chapter of his gospel, we see the religious leaders of the day confronting John the Baptist, and they ask him this very simple question, John, who are you? Because, see, he was getting a lot of attraction, and they didn't like it, the Jewish leaders, of course. And they weren't sure who he was and exactly what he was doing, but a lot of people were taking notice, and so they needed to do some investigating. And so they met him and basically asked him some questions to find out who are you, John the Baptist. So the first thing that they asked, they said, you must be Elijah. And he said, I am not Elijah. Let's park there for just a second. Why would they have said, oh, he is Elijah? Because there is prophecy in the Old Testament, especially from Daniel 9, 25. won't take the time to read it, but back in Daniel chapter 9, it decrees and prophesies that there would be a time period between this decree going out, especially mentioned in 925 of Daniel, a decree of a Persian king who was Artaxerxes, until the coming of Messiah, there'd be a time period of 483 years. And so the, the Jewish people of Jesus' day who knew the scriptures and knew the prophecies of the Old Testament, especially of Daniel, like the Magi did, if you remember from last time, they had a heightened awareness at the time that this was about the season, even if they didn't know that the exact day was predicted, that they knew it was the season that this Messiah should be appearing on the scene based upon the prophecies of Daniel. And so they were looking for the Messiah. They had a general idea, but they also knew from the scriptures, that there would be one coming before the Messiah, and they believed it would be the prophet Elijah returning. And so they believed, especially taken from Malachi 4, 5, and 6, again, the last book of that Old Testament, Malachi 4, 5, and 6, where Malachi predicts that Elijah will come before the Messiah. See, so they were looking for the Messiah, but first they were saying, well, if the Messiah is about to arrive, based upon the prophecies of the Old Testament, then there must be his forerunner coming, Elijah. So they said, well, John the Baptist, you must be Elijah. Now, John was a true prophet because he proclaimed the message that God demanded repentance. In fact, he was probably even more than what we consider a prophet. Malachi, the same book, 3.1 
does this. Behold, I am going to send my messenger, a prophecy about John the Baptist, and he will clear the way before me. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple. And the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight, behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. Even to this day, our Orthodox Jewish friends set out, many of them set out a chair, an empty chair. They would call the chair for Elijah because it would indicate that if the Messiah is coming, that they would first see Elijah. Now, John in um, the John the Baptist in the Gospel of John says, I am not Elijah. Now, there was a prophecy about it, but why would that be? See, John the Baptist says, I'm not a prophet. He even says, I'm not the Christ, because they thought, well, you must be the Christ then. He said, I am not Elijah. See, because he knew, somehow he knew, and of course, we see how this plays out, that the people of Israel were rejecting this Messiah. So, in essence, to fulfill prophecy, John the Baptist could have been Elijah if the people of Israel had accepted their Messiah, Jesus, as their king. Luke 1.17, it says, John came in the spirit and power of Elijah. That was the intent. That was God's plan. But we know that the people of Israel ultimately reject him. Listen to what it says in Matthew 11. So later on in Matthew 11, it says this, For all the law and the prophets prophesied until John, meaning John the Baptist, and if you are willing to accept it, these are the words of Jesus, John himself is Elijah who was to come. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. See what Jesus is saying? He's saying they were all prophesying about John the Baptist, about this one coming before the Messiah. And Jesus says, if you are willing to accept it, John himself is Elijah who was to come, but John the Baptist himself denies it. So just as a matter of course, we what happens to those prophecies before we move on to our topic of John the Baptist? So it, the prophecies of Elijah returning before the Messiah actually remain unfulfilled now, but as we saw last week, God is a promise keeper, and when he makes a promise, he will keep it. When he prophesies about something that will happen in the future, it must be fulfilled. So we look at Revelation chapter 3, and we see the two witnesses who will prophesy in the last days of the tribulation. Now, it doesn't give a name, but perhaps, again, the Bible doesn't name these two witnesses, but perhaps in those last days, one of these two witnesses will be Elijah himself, because it does say then, the Apostle Paul and others, that at that time all Israel will be saved, all of the Jewish people living during that time of the great tribulation, will eventually then call in the name of Jesus and recognize him to be their king, the one they rejected 2,000 plus years earlier, you see? So at that time, if Elijah is one of those two witnesses, then the prophecy from Malachi will be fulfilled. We say that because there's some other you know, conjecture about who these two witnesses may be, but Elijah could fit the bill. Um, he performs miracles, uh, this one of the two witnesses, as Elijah did, stopping the rain. He kind of dressed like him, and um, so there's a lot of indications that it could be him. But in any case, we know that at some point, these prophecies that uh, were given about John will eventually then be 
completely fulfilled in the end before Christ returns. So again, getting back to John the Baptist and who he is and who he is not, he also says he is not the Christ. But why is that important? Because he says he is pointing to Christ. You remember this too, and this is important. See, John the Baptist was gaining a lot of attention to mention. People are, were going in droves to, to see him. And we start to see the disciples of um, Jesus early on, right? Not even realizing who he truly was, starting to be jealous and saying, Jesus, you know, this guy, John the Baptist out there in the Judean wilderness, he's getting a lot more followers than you. What should we do about that, right? But all the while, John the Baptist, John the Baptist is pointing the way to Jesus. Does he not famously say, I must decrease, so he must increase. So John the Baptist even set his own followers and disciples right to say, look, you're not here to follow me. You are here to look at me as I point to Jesus, the Christ. But yet, John the Baptist had a very special and important role in the life and ministry of Jesus, because even Jesus himself, again, in Matthew chapter 11, talking about John the Baptist, he says, truly I say to you, among those born of women, there has not arisen anyone greater than John the Baptist. That's what Jesus said about John the Baptist. There's been no one greater. He's the greatest of all those prophets. Then, of course, until Jesus himself. But he was bringing accolades to John the Baptist. So, what do we learn from John the Baptist? Little that we know. What can we glean from his life as Christians here and now in the year 2023, still waiting for Jesus to return? First, he is called John the Baptizer, or John the Baptist. Why? Because he baptized people in the River Jordan. My question to you is, if you are a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, you have put your faith and trust in him and him alone for the salvation of your sins, have you been baptized? Because Jesus gives it as one of the two ordinances, one of the two commands of the church, that we would take communion as often as we got together to remember his sacrifice, and that we would baptize. At the end of Matthew, the end of our gospel, we'll see what we call the Great Commission. And Jesus says to his disciples before he ascends back to heaven, and he says, go out into all the world and make disciples, teaching them and baptizing them, right? And so we see the really the common way of baptism and in the, uh, the New Testament especially, was that someone became a believer, and almost immediately they were baptized. There was no reason to wait. And so I ask you, if you are a believer in the Lord Jesus and you have yet to be baptized, what is it that you're waiting for? We would love the opportunity to have you baptized here. What a pleasure that would be for me and for the church to see that, because what baptism simply is, is it is an outward expression a symbolic expression of a change that has already happened inward. Baptism does not confer salvation. You don't get saved when you get baptized. You don't get like completely saved when you're baptized. Salvation is only by faith alone in Christ alone, right? By God's grace alone. But baptism is something that Jesus said all believers should go through. They should publicly declare, right, through baptism of immersion in water that they have been that they are dead in Christ and then alive in Christ, their sins have been forgiven. It is a public testimony. 
and a public display. And it's important in the life of a church, a body of believers, to see that and to practice it. And it is being obedient to Jesus. So if you are interested in learning more about baptism, maybe it's something you've put off for a long time, or perhaps you were a newer believer and you never even heard about it, didn't even know what it entails, just let me know. Send me a text, call me, send me an email, talk to me after service. I'd love to meet with you and talk to you about what baptism is and uh, how it is that you get baptized and how we do that here, all right? It's a wonderful, special thing that we do uh, as Christians together, and it's something that we do in obedience to the Lord Jesus. So John the Baptist was baptizing people as they repented because, of course, the message was repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Why? Why was it at hand? Because the king was there. That's Jesus. So the kingdom was about to come if they had accepted Jesus as their king. But once they rejected him, the pause button was pushed and the kingdom did not come. But yet the kingdom one day will come. When? When Jesus returns. When he returns in the second advent, sets his feet in Jerusalem and rules and reigns for a thousand years in the kingdom that he came and offered that was rejected by the people of Israel that will then be accepted because that is the king bringing the kingdom. So first we see John was baptizing people. And so we have to ask ourselves, were we baptized? And if we were, praise the Lord. And it's a one-time event, but we can spend our whole lives really just unpacking all of the beautiful riches and the truths behind the fact that we, in our sins, right, our sins have been forgiven as far as the east is from the west. And that idea of being uh, immersed under water says that we are buried with Christ, right, all of our sins forgiven, and then we come up clean. See the symbolism there? We come up clean and our sins are forgiven. And just as Christ arose from the dead, we now are alive and have the hope of eternal life. Amen? It's beautiful. And so, but again, that's our whole lives unpacking that and living that out. So secondly, what do we learn from John the Baptist? How about the way he lived? He was attracting all kinds of attention. Church, I I talk about this as a church, but also individuals. Are we attracting attention and are we attracting the right kind of attention? A lot of churches and God uses all kinds of people in all kinds of churches. But we have to wonder what kind of attention our church is trying to gain? Is it about one leader? Is it about the style of music? Is it about their building or their amazing ministries? Which again, praise God for those things, but where is the attention going? As Trinity Bible Church, are we representing Jesus Christ? Are we pointing people to Jesus from the time that they enter in and and seek out and, and kind of figure out who we are and want to join us as a local body of believers, are we representing Jesus well? Or are we just kind of trying to bring attention to other things other than Christ himself? And a lot of that has to do with authority. Who has the authority to do all these things? We don't do it on our own strength, our own authority. We do it by the authority of Jesus Christ, right? And this is what This is what John the Baptist was asked in the first chapter of the Gospel of John by the religious leaders. Basically, who are you, John the Baptist, and what are you doing here, and by whose authority? You see, church, it's important to recognize this. They asked the same question of Jesus. Who are you, this Jesus of Nazareth, and by whose authority are you doing these miracles? 
Why? Because the religious leaders of the day were all about keeping their, their authority and keeping their place of position, right? And control. And so by whose authority are you doing these things? So they asked that same question of John the Baptist. So we asked that of ourselves. If we are attracting attention to ourselves in any way, are we then showing people Jesus? We are to be more conduits, right? Where people might see what we do and hear what we say and, and want what we have in our relationship with Christ, but we are to then point them to Jesus because he is the difference maker. So third, like John the Baptist, are we willing to surrender all in our devotion to God? John the Baptist lived a simple but devoted life. He was on mission. We talk a lot about missions here. We talked about it earlier. And John the Baptist was on a mission. He had a singular focus and a singular mission. That was to prepare the way of the Lord. He was baptizing people for repentance that they would then get right in preparation for the coming of the king, right? Are we willing to surrender all in our devotion to God? Are we willing to be obedient even if it means we would be wrongly accused like John the Baptist and, and, and be put to death like John the Baptist and, of course, also like Jesus, wrongly accused and then innocently put to death. Are we willing to live out our faith to that degree? We would be singular in our focus. We'd be willing to lead the kind of lifestyle that God calls us to and even to simplify it in a way where all else may have its place and its importance, but we keep our eyes focused and fixed on Jesus. Are we helping to prepare the way? Now, Jesus came the first time, and he, he was the king offering the kingdom. But now as Christians in this church age, the age of grace, what are we waiting for? For Jesus to come back. And are we preparing the way by sharing the gospel? And that's our final point that we, we learn from John the Baptist. We need to be like John the Baptist in that we are preparing the way, evangelizing, that we are preaching about sin and the need of repentance in that it is a change of mind. The word repentance simply means to change your mind. And so as John the Baptist was saying, repent, change your mind about your sin and about who this Jesus is, that he is the promised Messiah. We are saying, in essence, the same thing. When we preach a gospel of repentance, we are saying, change your mind about who truly is in control. Is it you or is it Jesus? Change your mind about this Jesus See, every single person that is alive today and that has ever lived has to at some point make a choice about what they're going to do about this Jesus of Nazareth. Because he was a real man who really lived, and people don't deny that. But he also claimed to be God, to be that promised Messiah. He claimed that he would die and come back to life and that he took upon himself the sins of the whole world and that simply if we believe in him, that he did it for us, that we would have eternal life. What are you going to do with Jesus? And are we being like a voice of one crying in the wilderness? Because in many ways, the world in which we live is a spiritual wasteland. It is a wilderness. Like Isaiah 40, verse 3. 
voice of one crying in the wilderness like John the Baptist? Are we being voices for Jesus Christ in our society, in our culture, in our world today? John was an ambassador for Christ. He represented Christ. He said, I'm not Elijah. I'm not a prophet. And, and I'm, not, I'm not the Christ, but I'm pointing my way to him. I'm pointing the way. I'm preparing the way making the way straight. Let's make it as easy as possible and share the simple gospel of grace to the people who desperately need for it. He was calling out the people of a religious system and their laws coming out of Jerusalem into the Judean desert. Today, we are to do the same. Invite people out of the burden of religion into the blessings of grace of relationship with Jesus, just like John the Baptist did. At that day, when he said, the kingdom of heaven is at hand, because Jesus, the king, was there offering the kingdom. As Matthew continues to build his case about Jesus being the king and bringing the kingdom, we recognize that for us today, we await, we await the return of the king. Today, we preach the gospel of grace that is offered to all who believe John 3.16, for God so loved the world, meaning this is how he loved the world, that he gave his one and only son that whoever would believe in him, believe, would never die, but have everlasting life. We know that Jesus' return is at hand. Can we say amen to that? So just as John the Baptist was pointing the way because the Messiah had arrived and people needed to start recognizing him as the Messiah, we are now awaiting his return, and we are to be motivated because of that, to preach the gospel of grace, to share the love of Jesus with others, because he will soon return. So the time is at hand, and we are to follow the example of John the Baptist in all those ways. Would you stand with me, please, as I read to you in our closing scripture it says this, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old things passed away, and behold, the new things have come. Now all these things are from God, who reconciled us to himself, through Christ, and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Namely, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them. He has committed to us the word of reconciliation. And he goes on to say these final words. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. As though God were making an appeal through us, as uh, we beg you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. John the Baptist came in a way, uh, preparing the way, pointing to Jesus with a ministry of reconciliation. And now we are given that same ministry that we are to share the gospel as it should be our heart's desire that the world which does not yet know Jesus would be reconciled to their maker through Jesus Christ, because it only happens through him and him alone.
Church, we are ambassadors for Christ. We are to be like John the Baptist, being a voice, crying in the wilderness, and living that life devoted and being on mission to Christ our Savior. Amen? Father God, thank you for our time together. Thank you for a sweet time of worship and a sweet time in your word. May we remember this interesting yet profound character of John the Baptist. May we remember, Lord God, why you sent him and how important it was that he came to prepare the way. God, use us to prepare the way as we await your return, Lord God. Use us as we share the good news of the gospel with those around us who desperately need it. God, embolden us to do that. May we stay on track and on mission and any attention or interest that we get, Father God, that we would just point people right back to you, Lord God. Help us seek our eyes focused on you, Jesus, on things above where you are not in the things that this world has to offer. And at the end of the day, we give you all the glory and the praise for it. We do so in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thanks for joining us this morning, church. Go and priest and proclaim the gospel.